How are we all doing today? It's lovely to have the sunshine coming through, isn't it? And a bit of warmth. You can see a few daffodils out and about as well. That's, uh, it's really great. Good. So, today is the final session in our series, Controversial Jesus. Since November, we've been studying the teachings of Jesus that are controversial in our world today. We've been uh, seeing that Jesus has a countercultural and liberating view on topics such as money, sex, and power, honoring one another, justice. And we've recognized the cost of discipleship as we seek to follow Jesus. Today, we are again looking to Jesus as we explore radical welcome to God's family. Our reading, which I'll do in a few moments, is from Matthew chapter 9. Prior to that, recorded in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount to crowds of people. And that sermon has been described as the most rigorous ethical speech of all time. Then we see Jesus walk through the region of Galilee, healing people, bringing miracles into their lives, teaching with huge authority. In those encounters, we will see Jesus extend a welcome into God's family that is completely radical and controversial. Jesus leads with mercy and love. We see that at the beginning of chapter 9, where Jesus meets a paralyzed man He forgives the man's sins, which offends the teachers of the law. And so Jesus goes on to to heal the man as well, and the man is able to stand up and walk. Our reading starts from verse 9 of chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have at the beginning of our reading Jesus on the way. Like any first century rabbi, he's looking for followers. And earlier in the gospel, He has called the fishermen, Peter and Andrew. He's called James and John to follow him. And this is expected, uh, an expected way that rabbis live and work, rabbis picking their disciples. But what Jesus does is very unexpected because usually rabbis pick the top of the class, the grade A students, not ordinary fisher folk. 
So if the fishermen were unexpected choices, choosing Matthew, the tax collector, is shocking and even scandalous. Capernaum is described in chapter 9, verse 1, as Jesus' own town. It's the town he moved to from Nazareth, and he became part of Peter's household there, part of Peter's extended family in Capernaum. And as Jesus is on his way through Capernaum, he meets the tax collector. Matthew was in a prime spot between two local government regions. So where people going from one to another had to pay taxes. So he was right in a prime spot. And not only that, Capernaum itself was an amazingly prime spot because it was on the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And that was a significant trading route all the way from Egypt to Damascus. So there were rich pickings for a tax collector in those days and in Capernaum. Now, tax collectors in those days were very different from now. I mean, I must admit, when I get a brown envelope coming through the door from the Inland Revenue, it doesn't exactly fill me with joy. But it doesn't kind of shock me or cause me to be outraged. What we need to understand from the first century context is how tax collectors were viewed. Otherwise, you'd be thinking, oh, why have you picked this passage? But the, the reason is that tax collectors in those days, well, they were known for being corrupt. Anything that people collected, so basically they were allowed to set, they had to collect taxes from the people in the area. But anything that they collected above the required amount, they could take to their own profit. So as you can see, that creates a system that, cover, uh, that encouraged a lot of corruption, a lot of people lying in their own pockets. So they were seen as corrupt. They were also seen as traitors. They were seen as traitors because they were seen as colluding with the pagan invaders, that was the Roman army, who oppressed God's people, the Jewish people in the area. So they were viewed as corrupt, they were viewed as traitors, and also, they were on the outside of their religion as well. Synagogues could not accept tax collectors' contributions because their money was assumed to be illegally earned. And you can see in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, a tax collector stands in that parable, stands away on the outside. So the religious Jews considered tax collectors to be worse than thieves and murderers and put them on a par with dung collectors. So when we read of Jesus coming to Matthew the tax collector and stopping in front of him, there's all that going on. Money had a hold over Matthew's life. Practically, because that was his job, but also with the things that he was doing that involved corruption and being uh, traitorous to his own people. Matthew's other name, from the other, uh, as is told in the other Gospels, it was Levi. And Matthew knew 
their Old Testament laws. And I'm sure that as Jesus stood before him, he would have been acutely aware of his sin, the greed, the corrupt practices of extortion, which were part and parcel of his life, part and parcel of being a tax collector in that time. Just for a moment, put yourself in Matthew's shoes. You know you've got that sense of shame and corruption. You know that you're corrupt. You know that you're viewed by your own people as a traitor with suspicion and loathing. You're even not welcome in your own place of worship. And you've heard of Jesus. You've heard of this man who's creating a big stir in the local community, healing the sick, casting out demons, teaching with authority. Now this man stands before you. This miracle worker stands before you. And what does Jesus say? He says, follow me. That must have blown Matthew away, don't you think so? That moment, that miracle worker standing in front of him saying, follow me. I think this is the turning point of Matthew's life. He responds, he gets up and follows Jesus. And Matthew's response to the radical welcome of Jesus is a radical change of life. He even gets his new name from Levi to Matthew which means gift of God. Jesus gave him that gift that day. And Jesus invites Matthew further into relationship with him. I mean, that that change in Matthew's life, where he gets up and follows Jesus, leads to Jesus welcoming him right into his close group of 12 disciples. He's named as one of those 12 in the next chapter, Luke, uh, sorry, Matthew 10, verse 2. And Jesus sends those disciples out in his name with power and authority to heal the sick and cast out demons and to teach with authority. You know, there's something very different about Jesus' choice of disciples to the rabbis of that day. And we can be hugely grateful for that. What Jesus does in calling Matthew is absolutely remarkable. It's completely kind to the culture. He would not have been touched by the Pharisees of that day, Matthew. He wouldn't have got into a rabbi's group. But he was welcomed into Jesus extended family, and then he was welcomed into Jesus' close group of disciples. Jesus is completely counter the culture of his day. His radical welcome is something that we need to pay attention to. We need to put into practice in our own lives.
The next scene from our passage is Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house. Matthew has opened his house to tax collectors and sinners joining with this meal of Jesus and his disciples. Matthew's response to the mercy and grace of Jesus is to throw open his home in radical welcome. And I think, you know, that's a a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me today. I mean, you've heard me say before that uh, coming out of the pandemic, I'd got out of the habit of opening up my house. I mean, we had to make them all little mini fortresses, didn't we, for a while in the pandemic. We remember that time. Yes, there's a few nods going on. Well, that doesn't take long to form a habit. And we were locked down thereabouts for about two years. Coming out of lockdown, it's that opening doors. It's making people welcome again. And I think that's a habit for us well, that I know I need to recreate. Visiting people in their homes to eat, as well as having people to my home to eat. Jesus ate a lot of a lot with people. It's one of the easiest things about following him. But we can go and eat with people. He ate an awful lot of meals. I'm visiting all of our Barnabas communities at the moment, and uh, I haven't had the opportunity to visit them for years and years, so it's fantastic. I'm going to every single one. And uh, most of them so far have given me a meal as part of visiting and being part of it, which is fantastic, including on one haggis. It's around a meal that we're able to sit and talk with each other, isn't it? Uh, last week I had some people around for lunch and then I had an unexpected guest as part of that. And we made an absolute mess of making the gravy. It all went very lumpy. That person just laughed and just joined in. Meals don't have to be perfect. In fact, if you come to my house, they won't be. But it's sitting together, eating together and being open to having people come. But again, what Jesus is doing here is much further, much more, much more radical than simply having somebody uh, join in with somebody's meal. Because he's eating in the home of a tax collector. And the religious people of that time would have said that if a tax collector entered your home, everyone and everything in it automatically becomes unclean. So Jesus was again crossing a cultural divide there. Because the people who were there, Matthew in his gospel describes as the Pharisees asking that question, teach why does your sorry, it describes as many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees' reaction was critical, but they didn't ask Jesus direct with their criticism. They questioned his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, when they're asking questions to do with the paralyzed man in the, uh, in the, just at the beginning of this chapter, they keep their thoughts to themselves, but Jesus reads their thoughts. Here, they ask his disciples, but Jesus answers. It seems to me that the Pharisees view their position as set apart and holy and use that to judge and criticize. That is not at all what Jesus did. 
Jesus stepped in. He did not keep himself apart. Michael Green comments, We see Jesus totally at home among a bunch of crooks who are Matthew's friends and colleagues. Unlike some church people in many parts of the world, Jesus was totally relaxed in the presence of sinners and outsiders of every kind. They loved to be with him. He was so attractive, such good company. The Pharisees were scandalized. They saw righteousness as fulfilling the regulations of the covenant. Jesus saw it as God's mission to needy people. So the Pharisees essentially say to the disciples, what is your teacher doing? What's he even thinking of? And of course, Jesus' answer is absolutely brilliant. In the same way as it doesn't make any sense for a doctor to treat a healthy person, Jesus did not come to call people who already think they are sorted, but to people who are lost, who are in need, who struggle with habitual sin, who are full of faults and failings, people like you and me. And why was Jesus like that? Well, Tom Wright says, Jesus was bringing in a kingdom movement. Everything is different now. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because while other religious leaders of the day saw their task as being to keep themselves in quarantine, away from possible sources of moral and spiritual infection, Jesus saw himself as a doctor who'd come to heal the sick. There's no point in a doctor staying in quarantine. They will never do their job. And then Jesus puts this out to the Pharisees. He says, learn what this means. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Hosea 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He challenges them to learn from him. Sadly, very few of them did from what we can see of the Pharisees' behaviour in the Gospels. So what can we learn? Well, let's look at that word mercy. In the Old Testament, in the Hosea verse, that word mercy is translated in the Hebrew heseth, which means steadfast love, covenant love. And that is what Matthew experienced through Jesus' radical welcome to him. Jesus, uh, sorry, Matthew chooses to follow and his life is changed, transformed. The hold that money has over him is completely broken. And what does this look like on the ground? It's the same for us as it is for Matthew. We are welcomed forgiven, redeemed by God's grace. That's what we've been singing in that song, The House of the Lord. We're welcomed, forgiven, redeemed by God's grace. And that's God's mercy, his steadfast love on offer for everyone. And that is the radical nature of God's heseth love, that covenant steadfast love for us and for all humanity. All of us are made in the image of God. We're all divine image bearers and made to be in relationship with God. As a consequence of the fall, 
all of us have fallen short. But the good news of Romans 5 verse 8 is, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Note that Jesus doesn't change his understanding of what counts as sin. He doesn't shift and say what Matthew has been doing with his money is fine and we should accept it and affirm it. But, and this is so important, he does lead with mercy in how to respond with sin. That involves valuing each person as they are without judgment or condemnation. So as Jesus stands before Matthew, he simply says, follow me. Then he eats with Matthew and his friends. He gets involved. Jesus does not separate himself like the Pharisees do. He doesn't judge people like the Pharisees do. He sees people. He interacts with people. He loves people. He walks with them. And Jesus' love is a different kind of love, a different kind of mercy. As one writer puts it, Jesus' love is the love that seeks someone's holiness but isn't contingent upon that person's holiness. Jesus' love is neither permissive or conditional. It expects and enables obedience but doesn't require obedience as its prerequisite. This is incredibly good news. Jesus' first step to each person is a step of love and acceptance. So how do we live in the light of this? We welcome everybody. We welcome everyone. We're recipients of grace. We receive grace and mercy And therefore, we meet people with grace and mercy. And I'd love us to think for a moment of the question, what practical steps can you take on this to welcome people into your life? It's a question I'm asking of myself as well. What practical steps can I take to welcome people into my life? What practical steps can we take to extend the radical welcome that we've received to other people around us? I love what our Barnabas communities are doing, stepping out to reach people with God's goodness. I love what Helen shared earlier at the YMCA of taking that radical welcome out. That's what we're about as a church is to take the radical welcome that we've received and take it to people around us. So what practical steps can we take in that welcoming everyone? Just going to give us a moment to think of one thing and then I'm going to uh, bring us to a time of response of how we live in the light of what I've shared. So just take a moment. How, what practical steps is God showing you to take this morning in welcoming people?
Okay, so three quick takeaways now of how we live in the light of this. How we live in the light of God's radical welcome shown to us by Jesus' mercy and grace. The first quick takeaway is don't judge. That's really clear from what Jesus says to the Pharisees. They seem to be more concerned with criticism than encouragement. So let's, let's, if we know that we're judging people, if we're holding judgment against somebody else, let's take a moment before God, confess that, have it forgiven of us, and walk in love and mercy towards people. The second thing to do is be kind. Be kind. I say a prayer every day that includes this statement. Jesus, help me, self, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. And honestly, along with don't judge, being kind is impossible. Both of those things are impossible, aren't they? So don't judge, I need to ask for God's forgiveness. Being kind, I need to ask God to grow that fruit of the Spirit within me. Being kind to everyone I meet? Really, God? Okay, well, that's a prayer I'm saying, but I need you to help me with that. I need you to help me with that. Uh, the other day, I had to go an errand on Moor Road, and when I was walking back up at Moor Road, I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to smile at every single person on Moor Road, without exception. And I'm going to view every person on Moor Road as that made in the image of God. That's what I'm going to do. Well, that had quite an impact on me. Because I was walking down the road, smiling, showing love and mercy to every single person I met. It's a very practical way, along with that whole thing about opening up my home, that I want to have as my leading beat. I want to have my leading beat of showing love and mercy. And I need God's help in that. And then the third thing that we can do is to do what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Learn about mercy. Learn about God's love and mercy. Uh, I was uh, given this book not this Christmas, the Christmas before, Gentle and Lowly, and we've recommended some great books throughout the series, and there's some for sale on the back there. The final book I want to recommend as we've gone through this series is Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, where we, and the subtitle of it is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And it is a fantastic book to bring us into the reality of God's mercy for us. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. But how Jesus views us is that that means he draws closer to us. And he invites us to follow his way. He invites us to walk in his footsteps. And our lives change our attitudes change, our faults and our failings. We bring them to God, they are forgiven, and we step on following Jesus.